good to see. If you got your Bible, turn to Ephesians chapter 4. We are going to be in the first six verses. And these are super important verses. While you're turning there and before I pray, let me do, though, invite you to Four Points University. Uh, if you did take the survey online, the Sunday's at 4-1. So if you were a Tuesday night at 7, you lose. Sorry. Um, but uh, we do want you to come out, especially if you're not part of uh, any of our other devotion groups, if you're not in a Dweller Forge group, if you're not in a small group. It's a great way for you to come. Uh, it's very non-threatening. We're not going to ask you to list out all your sins so that we can pray for you. That's why some of you don't go to small groups, I know. Um, it's, it's here at the church, and uh, it's going to be fun. We're going to get into God's Word. We're going to unpack his gospel at a seminary level, but you don't have to write any papers. Uh, it's going to be a, a good time of just growing and learning about your Bible and about who God is. Uh, but it's also going to be a time where, uh, if you want, you can have connection with other people because you do need that whether you want it or not. Uh, so Sundays at 4, starting the 22nd, go online and sign up. Uh, if you're interested in coming to that, I hope you will come to that. Ephesians chapter 4 is a turning point in this book that we've been studying. Uh, we'll talk about that in a moment, but let me say before we pray and before we get started, how thrilled I am that we can enter into chapter 4 from a very healthy place and a healthy perspective. Now, there might be someone in this room that's been working on an email for two weeks that they're going to send me tomorrow. But as of right now, I don't know of any conflicts. I don't know of any, uh, you know, groups that hate other groups in the church. None of that. We're, we're in a very healthy place as a church. And praise God for that. Amen. Uh, you get this many people together. You got people throwing lefts and rights and, uh, you know, uppercuts and, uh, so we're thankful none of that has, is occurring now. So we get to approach what God wants from us from a very healthy place. That doesn't make it less hard to hear. There is no one in this room who should be able to leave this room this morning unscathed in some way. Amen? Uh, we are all part of the problem, and Jesus is the answer. Uh, and we need this. We desperately need, from this place of health, because guess what? We can make this place really unhealthy tomorrow. It's not that hard. It's amazing how you can lose. You, you might have heard the, the, the statement, uh, you can work your whole life for something good and you can lose it in a moment. Right? It's, it's not hard to make a place toxic and unhealthy. Uh, so what we have, we need to guard. And today we're going to find out how we do guard this new humanity, this new people that God has made us. So we're moving from what God has done to our role in this process today. Chapter 4, beginning in verse 1. I therefore... Now, we've seen this therefore word already in Ephesians. Everything that Paul is communicating builds upon itself. When he starts out in chapter 1, there's some things he wants you to know before he moves to making you more aware of God's power and love and the hope that you have uh, in him and, and how he's uh, saved us from our sin and, and made us this new humanity. Right? All of this new humanity in chapter 3 is built upon God's uh, as our Father, who chose you, who predestined you, who, who adopted you as his sons and daughters before you were even a twinkle in your Father's eye, right? He's done some things for you, and because he's done things for you, that's why we have redemption through his blood and the forgiveness of our trespasses. That's how we can become more aware of who he is in this world. That's how we can understand he built the entire bridge to us. We didn't build half the bridge to get to him. He came all the way to who we were, and he's the one who, who moved us from sinners to saints in Christ Jesus. 
He's the one. We were not a people, but he's made us a people. We are a new creation in Christ Jesus. We are this new man that God has put visibly on display in this world. You, me, uh, uh, whether you're Jew, Gentile, uh, red, yellow, black, and white, whatever language you speak, he's created one new humanity in Christ Jesus, and we are the visible temple of God where his presence dwells in this world. All this is what God has done for us. When Paul says, therefore, that's what he's saying. Because God has done all of this. And then before he gets into our role, he just puts this little phrase in there one more time to remind the Ephesians of who he is. A prisoner for the Lord. If you go back to chapter 3, verse 1, he calls himself a prisoner of Christ Jesus. If you look at verse 13 in chapter 3, he reminds them uh, not to lose heart over what he is suffering for them because his suffering, his imprisonment is for their glory. And here again, Paul, before he gets into uh, what he wants, how he wants the church to respond to what God does, he reminds them of his imprisonment. And maybe you've never thought about this or but how many of you know in our, we live in a great country. Uh, I was talking with a man from Pakistan. It's been several years ago now, but he's, he comes to our church. Uh, he came over to this country with absolutely nothing. Had to live with people who took him in off the street. I mean, just a powerful story. Today he's a medical doctor in our area. Uh, he's a doctor of internal medicine. And he, we were at lunch one day and he said, Brittany, you know why I love this country? And I said, please tell me, because <laughs> it's a mess, right? Please tell me why you love the country. He said, he said, because you can come here from anywhere, and you can become anything you want if you're willing to work for it. That's a good story, right? right? And many of you in this room, um, you were in college, or, or maybe you were just a young man or young woman, and you got this idea for this product and this business. And, and we got a lot of business owners and entrepreneurs in our church by God's grace. Uh, and, and you said, man, this can work and I can do this and I can give my life to this and this can support me and uh, maybe a future family that I'd like to have one day. And you went to town and you got to work and you stayed up late at night researching and you were up early in the morning practicing sales pitches. And, and, and then during the day, you're working alongside everybody else. I mean, you're bleeding, you're sweating, you're putting blood on the ground. Uh, for that business, right? Even before you make your first dime, you got to spend months, sometimes years, depending on what you're trying to do, getting permits, licensing, form, forming the corporate. You're spending thousands of dollars before you can even make a dollar. And nobody sees that sweat, that blood. But all of a sudden, you become viable, and the, the community likes you, and your business begins to grow, and you begin to hire people to help you, right, uh, with this vision of, of this company and growing this company. And you begin to hire people, and they come in, and they say, oh, well, what about benefits? <laughs> um, you know, my son's got a baseball game Thursday. Can I have four hours off? Right? And... and, and Right? Sometimes we fail to appreciate what we have been given. But there's not a nation. I mean, this nation was born. It's a great nation because it was born in blood. Just like your current employment, somebody. It, it probably wasn't you. Probably wasn't the guy above you or the girl above you. But somebody put blood on the ground. Paul's reminding this church before he's fixing to give them some very clear instructions. Remember my chains, he says in Colossians chapter 4. He says, I am being poured out like a drink offering. See, many of us in this room, we didn't do anything for this. Right? But there is blood that has been spilled and suffering that has occurred for us to experience this joy in Christ together as his gathered people. Paul is reminding them, before we even get into your role in this, remember my chains. I'm not a prisoner of Rome. I'm not a prisoner of Nero. I'm a prisoner of the Lord who has suffered and bled out for you, for your glory. 
And I want you to be thinking about that as I call you into service. Because as we have learned in our country, nothing is free. There's a lot of things promised, but nothing is truly free. Somebody pays for it, amen? By God's grace, Christ Jesus has paid and bled out for this grace that we experience. And he's raised up men like Paul who suffered for the gospel. We won't talk to our neighbors. And Paul's out in the streets preaching and getting beat up. And that's why we're here. Because faithful people have followed God and endured and suffered. And it's for our glory. We get to sit here and learn about Jesus in an air-conditioned building. Amen? Praise God. I, therefore, because all that God has done, and me, his prisoner, I urge you. Now, underline that word urge because this is an important word. Notice Paul doesn't say, I command you. Paul's not stiff-necked, hard-hearted. He's not, he's not trying to force anything. What he does is he appeals to you. He, he basically, he begs us. Everything that God has done, this new people that he has made us, me, my imprisonment, my suffering for you, now I beg you, I appeal to you, I urge you to walk. And walk is a metaphor in the first century. It doesn't mean just taking a stroll. It means every aspect, every part, every T crossed, every I dotted, every little aspect of your life, the way you think, where you go, what you do with your time, every way you live your life, I'm begging you, every way you live your life to walk in a manner worthy. And this manner worthy is an important word. It means to balance the scales. See, and some of you have been so scared through Ephesians 1 through 3. You can't preach that way. You can't just make everything about God. Uh, we have a responsibility. People are going to go out. They're just going to sin all they want because God's done this and help us with holiness. Listen, there is no holiness if we don't understand what God has done. Paul has spent three chapters building confidence and courage in us that we are no longer sinners, but we are saints in Christ Jesus. And that we need that, but, but the scales are way down here now. And Paul wants to, to level out the scales and say, hey, because God has done all of this, there's something that we now need to do. There is no such thing. Many of you may have heard the term antinomian. There are people who believe, well, God's grace is so good. The more I sin, the more glory he gets. So let's go and sin good. That is anti-Christian and anti-Bible. There is a response because of what God has done. We are to balance the scales by showing people with our lives how much we love him because he first loved us. So that's where these next several weeks are going, just so you know. The entire end of Ephesians is going to be calling us to walk in a worthy manner. Uh, in our, with our relationships here, in our marriages, uh, with what we do in this world, in every aspect of our lives. We're to walk in a manner worthy, showing the balance of what we believe and what we are. Walk in a manner worthy of the calling to which you have been called. And again, three chapters, we know the calling. I almost went to Romans chapter 8 this morning because we know that golden chain of salvation found there, those God foreknew, he then predestined to be conformed to the image of Christ. And to those he predestined, he called. And to those who he called, he um, uh, justified. Those he justified, he sanctified. Those who sanctified, he glorified. Well, that's a beautiful little chapter there. But that's next year, so get ready for that. 
This calling we find here in Ephesians as well. All right? You're no longer a sinner. You're a saint. You're part of the new man in Christ Jesus. Adam brought death. Christ has brought life. This is the calling to which you have been called, and we are to walk in a manner worthy of this calling with all humility. Now, you guys know I am just the most humble person. Right? None of us can say that, can we? Because the minute we say that, we contradict ourselves. Brent, my, my spiritual gift is humility. I'm just so humble. You proud turd. <laughs> and listen, as we, as we move through these virtues, God help us. There's a reason Augustine said that pride is the mother of all sin. Right? Each and every one of us in this room, we think we're more right than the person we sit next to. It's a good sermon. And it's true. Each and every one of us, you get us in that Oval Office for five minutes, I'll have this country fixed. We all have the answers. We all know we're right. We all know our way is better than someone else's way. This is who we are. And humility is something that in this culture, in this first century, this is not a virtue the Romans cared about. This is not a virtue the Greeks cared about. People want conquer and conquest and buildings and statues and ego, ego, ego. By God's grace, we've changed so much in 2,000 years. No, we haven't. When I first began seriously studying, not just the Bible, but but just studying, and one of my personal goals in 2000 was to read a book a week. And for 10 years, I did that. Before I, well, I won't tell you why I stopped, but 10 years, I did that. And one of the first books I got, it was, it was a classic at the time, even though it hadn't been out that long, just since the 70s. But many of you have heard of William Bennett's Book of Virtues, right? It's on a lot of coffee tables still uh, in our culture. Out of all the wonderful virtues in that book, there is one that is glaringly absent. It's humility. It's not a virtue in the book of virtues that kind of we were raised up in our nation either. Humility is not something that anybody wants. But it's what God wants for us. And how does God even come to us? He comes to us humbly. God, I mean, the king of the universe, the creator of all things, the king of kings, the Lord of lords. He doesn't come on a, on a, a raging, fiery uh, iron chariot from the skies with lightning bolts in his hands. He comes as a baby, one of the most helpless and pathetic things on the planet. He comes humbly. He's born uh, not in a palace. He's born in a manger. Right? And, and if God is this God who is being murdered by the people he came to save and can say, Father, forgive them. Right? This kind of virtue, this humility, listen, it's foreign to us. We can't do this on our own. We need God's Holy Spirit to help us to grow to where we can love our enemies and turn our cheeks. Now, some of you are already going to be like, Ecclesiastes 3, there's a time to fight. Yes, there is a time to fight. I'm with you. But there's also humility that we are to show. How are all of chapter 4 is about unity in the church? How can we maintain unity as brothers and sisters together in this new humanity? Because you're going to go to small group and you're going to say, oh, I can't wait for extravaganza. Man, we're going to have so much fun. We're, I think we got, I think this is 90% sure. I think we got a guy playing bagpipes this year. That's going to be awesome. 
right? And kids are going to get free candy, and it's going to be a good time. And you'll be like, I'm excited about extravaganza, and then somebody's going to go into the long history while you're going to hell for having Easter eggs. And they're going to be right. And you're going to go, you're a jerk. And you're going to be right. (laughs) And this is why we need to just become okay with telling ourselves, we don't know everything. And we're not God's gift to humanity. Christ is God's gift to humanity. And God does, I mean, this is the simple truth of it. Because how do we build humility in our lives? With this understanding that God doesn't need us. He doesn't need us. Well, Brent, you've got a gift and you can preach. Listen, there are, I'm so glad you come and I'm so glad you think that. But there are a thousand guys in Georgia that could preach me under this stage. You know that, right? I am not God's gift. And neither are you, no matter what your giftings are. You are not. God doesn't need any one of us. He can use a donkey. He can use a a pillar of fire or a cloud. He can use anything that he wants. He doesn't need us. But by his grace, we've been called into this thing that he has done. And we are to always remember this is about him and not ourselves. Listen, humility is necessary for our unity moving forward together as brothers and sisters. And here's what I've learned. And you guys know me. I love theology. I love my Bible. But I can be hammering down. And this is repentance to you. Okay? Because I'm just like everybody else. I came out of the womb thinking that I was it. And as a young minister, when I moved to Ackworth, I had read every book on church planet. I had been to great church plants. I had met with pastors and staffs. I had all the answers. Just like so many in this room, you're, maybe you're in that place in life where you just, why don't we do this? Why don't we do that? And it would be so much better if we do it. You just got all the answers. Listen, here's what happens eventually. Because if you still got all the answers, this hasn't happened yet. But those of us who have taken a spoonful of medicine know when you think you have all the answers, life has a way of coming and sticking its boot right up your tailpipe. That's that's good preaching, isn't it? You're not God's gift. Christ is God's gift. Calm down. Because you can be right and wrong. And I've been in those situations where I'm going, this is what it says, and you're doing that, and that's wrong. And and I have been not humble. I've not been caring about who they are, where they're from, what they come from, their perspective. I haven't walked in their shoes. I haven't done any of that, that work that needs to occur so that I can bring the gospel to them. I've just been heavy-handed, and I was right in what I was saying, but I was wrong in how I said it. That is not being humble. When what you're saying is true, but you're hurting people and you're tearing people apart and you're destroying unity that we have in the church, you are the problem no matter how right you think you are. One thing I've learned about pride and about being right is it's, even if it's just between you and another person. That's why I hate Facebook. When it's, when, even if it's just, you think it's just you and a person. But the disunity from your pride and your lack of humility in your conversations and in your relationship, it hurts more than just you and that person. It hurts everyone around you. It hurts everyone who loves you. It hurts everyone who loves the other person. Which is why God calls us to walk in a manner worthy. How do we begin to do that? By realizing that we're part of the problem and only Jesus is the answer. This is how we can grow in humility. I'm waiting for that email, so. (laughs) 
with all humility and, I wish we were done there, we're not, with gentleness. Gentleness. How many times have you been right and you put the fear of God and you had that woodshed meeting with someone, that come to Jesus meeting? You were right, but you were not gentle. Right? Do you know how to restore a brother or a sister in the church? If they fall into sin, if they're, if they're having a hard time. The Bible says in Galatians that in order to restore someone, the mature among you must go and gently deal with not, you sinner, how dare you? I remember just, uh, just about a year ago, we had a brother uh, make a mistake uh, in our church. And man, people were so ridiculous. They sent letters out to, to friends and family trying to expose, trying to hurt, trying to harm. That's not gentleness. That's, that's, that is ignorance and that is satanic. Humility is what we need. Gentleness. Right? Because our job is to restore, to bring reconciliation, not to drive wedges. One of our elders here at the church, we were sitting down and we were talking about, you know, vision for our, not the church, but for just our personal families. And we were in one of those little times where we're just trying to love on one another, get to know uh, one another. And this was several years ago. And uh, his name's Jeremy Brandy. You guys know Jeremy. What a gift he is to, to our church by God's grace. But we were sitting talking about personal vision. And my, I'm, I want a family compound. And I ain't going to be buried in no graveyard like a cow and a herd. I want to be buried on my own land. And right, I'm just going to town on what I want for my family. And, and then Jeremy spoke. <laughs> and Jeremy said, I, I just want to grow into being a sweet old man. And I'm like, dang it, that's better. <laughs> <laughs> at that, I, mean, I had been in ministry over a decade at that point and it never occurred to me to want to be a sweet old man <laughs> well, that's how wicked and sinful I am so I have now adopted that I want to be a sweet old man who lives in a family compound and is buried <laughs> on my own land Right, but there is, and any of you who know Jeremy, there's just a gentleness that he brings. Any, anything, uh, anything that occurs in our church, I always want Jeremy's eyes on it. I want Jeremy to be involved in these situations where people are mad at other people because he just brings this balance and this sincerity and this gentleness that we need in the church. Because I don't know if you know this or not, we got some ladies and we got some men that just like to hammer down. Right? And praise God. God can use hammer down, amen? But better to hammer down with humility and with gentleness. We need these gifts, these virtues. We need to walk in these ways. And by God's grace, right, we can grow. Right? We're not humble, we're not gentle, but we can grow. God, help us grow in humility, in gentleness, in patience. I love this word because it's actually made up of two words in the Greek, anger and a long time. That's just true. It's where we get the word long-suffering or slow to anger. Some of your Bibles will translate because that's what patience is. Patience isn't we go from zero to 100 miles an hour when somebody talks. How many of you, come on, in our marriages, We've got those triggers and we've got those walls built up that, that over time, uh, we just, man, she's like this and I'm like this and those walls get built and you could be having a great day and you can come home and your wife says, me, 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 me. It's <laughs> exactly how Sarah talks. Right? I mean, the littlest thing they can say, and all of a sudden, you go from great day to, you always do this to me. I knew I'm leaving. I'm out of here. Right? That's the opposite of patience. Patience is slow to anger. Right? And, and those people whom God is bringing to your heart and your mind right now, that you just, man, every time you see them, maybe every time you walk into their room for those with teenagers, 
Maybe you're just like me, and you, anytime you drive, it's just, ah! Think about how God has treated you. This always gets me. Because he should have, he should have divorced me. He should have pulled himself away from me a minute after he saved me. I have been consistently unfaithful consistently fallen and sinned against him. Just like uh, Gomer, the prostitute in Hosea. He's been faithful and I'm consistently unfaithful to him in thought and word and action and deed. There's no reason for God to continue pouring grace out upon me. But look how slow to anger he's been with me and you have the same story I do. How patient he has been with us. Right? If you've been a Christian for a long time, praise God for the knowledge and and your, your understanding of God's word and all the things that you bring to the table, but there's still room for more growth, amen? We've got to remember, people aren't going to be... The biggest fallacy of ministry that I had preconceived in my mind when I became a pastor... I thought, I'm going to get up there and I'm going to open God's word and I'm going to preach and that's going to be it. Everybody's going to know. And I remember preaching these sermons. You guys know me. I like to call fire down from heaven. (laughs) Hulk Hogan. And I just knew I would feel God use me and speak through me. And I just knew everybody was going to be different. Everybody was going to be changed. We were ever going to have any more problems about whatever it was I was preaching about. Two weeks later, Sister Susie Q would come along and she's fighting with somebody. I'm like, ah, we just talked about that. <laughs> right? We're never done. We're never done. We need humi- humility, gentleness, patience. Because you're going to tell that person, that spouse, that kid, that brother, that sister in Christ, that coworker, you're going to tell them a thousand times and they're still not going to get it and it's going to make you angry. I told you. Remember how patient God is with you. Because that's how slow to anger we need to be with others. I know some of you type A's. Right, always finding something to do. Right, you look at some other people in the church and you just walk right by, pick up that bulletin off the floor. Just walk right by it. Don't you see it? Don't you care? Right, listen, there's all kinds of different personality types. Uh, right, and some personalities don't mesh with others very well, which is why we need patience. Slow to anger. And I love this next one. Bearing with one another. Let me give you the the Stevens English translation. We are to put up with one another. Which is exactly what Jesus says in John, or I'm sorry, Matthew chapter 17 and verse 17. He sent his disciples out to do a job and they came back and they didn't do the job. And Jesus said, how much longer am I supposed to be with you? Right? How much longer uh, am I to bear with you? Right? Listen, God has called us. I know you hate this sermon, but God has called us to put up with one another. It's what we are to do in humility, in gentleness, in patience. We're to put up with one another. I know. When you're at small group and -and so-and-so goes into prayer requests and you're like, oh, this is going to be 20 minutes. All right. I've been in small groups for a long time. I know how these things work. Oh, you think the whole world rolls around you, don't you? We are to put up with one another. Guess what? They're not perfect. Guess what? You're not either. We need to put up with one another. Why? In love. Because Christ loved us. 
We're not here in our own strength or of our own doing. And we're not going to continue in our own strength or in our own doing. Because Jesus Christ loved us. That's why we're here. And that's why we'll continue uh, to be here. Because the same love that he pours upon us, we are to then extend and give to one another. We've got in a place of health. Let us learn these truths because I promise you, if you're new or even if you've been around a while and you haven't been offended yet, it's coming. We are equal opportunity offenders here. Everyone gets offended at some point. I have, I, there's a lady that started coming several months ago and for like the first three months, she came up to me every Sunday to talk to me about how much she loved her old pastor from the church that she went to. <laughs> and you know, once or twice, I'm like, that's great. After several months, I'm like, why do you tell me this? Go back to your old church. You love him so much. You will be offended at some point because we are humans and that's what we do. But we are to grow in humility, gentleness, patience, putting up with one another in love, the love that Christ has shown us. Watch this. Eager to maintain. Let me just read this whole verse. Eager to maintain the unity of the Spirit in the bond of peace. Notice that word maintain there comes first. We are not walk in a manner worthy. Right? And then he gives us these virtues so that we can what? So that we can build ourselves? So that we can grow ourselves? No. All Paul is asking for us to do through the Holy Spirit, God is asking through Paul for us to be a part of what he has already done and accomplished. Excuse me. He's already done it. He's already accomplished our unity in the Spirit, His Spirit. There's already peace between us and God. He doesn't ask us to do anything. What He asks us to do is to maintain, to keep this unity that He has purchased for us, that He has accomplished for us, that He has already given to us. We're to maintain this unity that we've been given. Verse 4. Now, verses 4 through 6. I'm doing way better this service, by the way. I got eight minutes. These next two verses, many New Testament scholars say, are an oral creed that Christians would proclaim when they gathered together in the ancient world. There's really no evidence. There's no way to prove that statement. But what I can tell you is this is written in a creedal format. What we're going to see in two verses is the word one found seven times. And if you've, ever, if you've ever been in small group or if you've ever been with other Christians and you're deciding what really matters that makes us Christians together, right? Here's where we go to maintain unity as God's people, as his new humanity in this world. Seven things you must understand and believe if you are a Christian. Listen, we can fight all day long about the ordering of God's decrees, right? Those lapsarian arguments. Did God decree before he put the tree in the garden or was it after sin? There are things we can talk about and disagree about. There are, uh, you know, traditions. But here is the bare bones, what it means to be in Christ. This is what you need to believe. I don't care if you're Baptist, Methodist. Did you know there are even real Christians in Catholic churches? Some would really fight against that. But God has been. Did you know old Smiley down in Texas? Did you know there's real Christians in his church too? Listen, we, we get so out of sorts with we've got the, we're doing it the best. Well, yeah, we are doing it the best, but hey, God still uses weird, crappy theology. God saves me. I got saved in a place I shouldn't have been saved. Right? I grew and, and, 
I grew in my understanding in, in places I shouldn't have learned and grown. God uses all things to do his will in this world. And we really, the older I get, the more I'm just trying to calm down. Everybody comes to me all the time. Just, I hate Facebook, stop. <laughs> So-and-so is a heretic. Blah, blah, blah. <sighs> Look, just calm down. One thing I tell all the guys in our leadership track, we're not polemicists. We're not trying to go and fix the world. What we're trying to do is love Jesus and make disciples right here where he's planted us and through any other doors that he opens for us. I'm not calling Smiley on the phone going, hey, brother, you need to preach the gospel better. Somebody should do that, though. It's just not me. This is the bare bones, boiled down, this is what it means to be Christian. You've got to believe all of these seven one statements. There is one body. And that's talking about the body of Christ, the household of God. It's talking about us right now, this new humanity. We are a a simple, local expression of the body of Christ, that visible temple in this world where people see the presence of God. We're a local version, but this thing is much bigger than us, amen? Praise God for making disciples and for baptisms and for growing uh, and, and planting church. Praise God for all that he has us doing, but we're a very small piece of what God is doing in this world. We've got brothers and sisters all over in every country from every race and language. It's a beautiful thing that God is doing and you got to believe that we are a new creation in Christ and we have been grafted in and have become something that we weren't. We weren't a people, now we are a people. We are his church, the household of faith, the household of God. There is only one body of Christ in which he is head of. And guess what? There are people in other churches that you don't like that are part of that body as well. It's his body. It's not ours. Look, this is, this is, this is humbling, amen? Praise, praise God for high horses. Praise God for hammer-down times. But we have got to grow and patience, and gentleness, and humility, and putting up with one another. Just because somebody's wrong, or ignorant, or doesn't understand, or is not where you're at, doesn't mean they're a heretic. There is one body and one spirit. What you're going to see in these seven things is all three members of the triune Godhead are present. Right? God, the Holy Spirit, is the Spirit that has called you and made you part of this body of Christ. He's the one who has filled you and regenerated your heart and caused you to say, Jesus is Lord. No one says Jesus is Lord except by the Spirit. And there is one Spirit, and it is the Spirit of God that is doing all. If we become more humble and more patient and and more gentle, it's going to be because the Holy Spirit is, through His Word, doing that work in our lives and in our hearts. That's why I prayed very specifically today, God, give us the motivation and the desire to do this, because we're not going to have it on our own. It is through the Spirit That God brings these holy desires into us and causes us to want to obey God and his word and not do what we want and serve ourselves. There's one church and there's one spirit who binds us all together in Christ Jesus Just as you were called to the one hope that belongs to your call. We're going to talk about faith in a second. Remember, faith is in what God has done in the past. Hope is what the future holds for us in Christ. New bodies, no more sickness, no more tears, no more coronavirus. Just so you know, there's only four kids back there that have it already. So I think we're we're okay. Our hope is in what Christ has yet to do, but is told us, has told us he was going to do it and is going to do. 
an inheritance treasured up for you and for me. There's one body, one spirit that brings it all together, and one hope we have in the glorification that is coming in Christ Jesus. One Lord. And who is Lord? Jesus Christ himself. Paul says throughout his letters, Jesus is Lord. Listen to me. There is no such thing as easy believism. Jesus is not just my... You hear people all the time, well, I've made him my Savior, but I haven't made him Lord yet. No, you're not a Christian. He is Lord and Savior. And yes, we fall. You know what the difference between a righteous man and an unrighteous man is? The righteous, the, the righteous man sins, but he gets back up, dusts himself off, and keeps following Jesus. That's the only difference between the two. But Jesus needs to be your Lord. He is master. When this is written, there's no such thing as someone being a servant in the house of a noble Lord. And the noble Lord says, I want you to go out and get me a pail of water. And the servant goes, nah, I don't want to. It doesn't happen. Right? This is emphatic. Jesus is Lord, and we only have one Lord, and those who claim to live in him must walk as Jesus walked. First John 2, 8, amen? Nope. I, good sermon. Everybody's quiet. <laughs> one Lord and one faith. Our faith in this person, Jesus Christ, he is God. He did come and wrap himself in flesh. He did live the perfect life that we have not lived. He did die substitutionally in your place for your sin. He was buried. He did conquer sin, death, hell, and the grave on the third day. He was born of a virgin, and he did ascend into the heavens, and he has sent the Spirit uh, to for one baptism to bring us into his family. This is our faith in who Jesus is and what he has done on our behalf. We've got one Lord and one faith and one baptism. Have you ever asked yourself, why do we still do this? Because Jesus commanded it. Why? Because it is the way that we show. Baptism saves no one. It is the way we show others that God has regenerated our hearts by obeying the first thing he told us to obey. He said, repent and be baptized. He told his disciples, go and make disciples and baptize them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. And that is why we do this ancient practice. It's so we can show that we have been regenerated and we are dead to sin and alive in Christ. And we want everyone to know it's a public display of obedience and love for Jesus Christ that initiates you into the household of God, the church, the body of Christ. I don't know when our next baptism is, but if you've not been baptized, you should be. Why? Because Christ said to. Well, Brent, when I was little, I did sprinkle my... Okay. Get baptized as a believer. That is what we see in the New Testament. One baptism and one God and Father of all who is over all and through all and in all. God is your Father. And you cannot escape Him. He is in all, through all, there's no place in creation and time and space that you can escape his will or his sovereignty or his plan. This is what Christians believe. Now, real quickly, and I know we're running late, but turn to John chapter 17, three verses. One more time where we see this word one, four times. This is in Jesus' high priestly prayer. He prays for his disciples. He knows he's, he's going to the cross. He prays for his disciples. And then he prays for all of those who would be reached by his disciples. That includes you and I. Jesus prays for us in this prayer beginning in verse 20. I do not ask for these only, his disciples, but also for those who will believe in me through their word. 
that they may all be one, just as you, Father, are in me and I in you, that they also may be in us, so that the world may believe that you have sent me. The glory that you have given me, I have given to them, that they may be one even as we are one. I in them and you in me, that they may become perfectly one, so that the world may know that you sent me and loved them even as you loved me. Jesus' prayer for us concerns this unity that we are to maintain in Christ by believing in one body and one spirit who calls us into that body and one hope to which we are called and one Lord and one baptism and one Father who is over all, in all, and through all. And look what we have done. There are over 300 just charismatic denominations in our country. We continue to not be humble to not be gentle, to not be patient. We continue to drive wedges which divide and break the unity that we are to have in Christ. And God, help us. Let's pray. Father, you are so good to us. Thank you for your word, for how you lead us, for how you guide us for truth that we can count on and depend on. Father, make us good brothers and sisters together. Father, may help us to maintain this unity that you have given us. Father, help us be humble, be gentle. These are, we can't do this without you. Help us to be patient. Help us to put up with one another. Help us to, with perspective and seeing where someone is, and instead of fighting, uh, fighting them, loving them. Father, give us grace and truth together. In Jesus' name, amen. I love you guys. If you need a pastor to pray with, we'll be up front. If you'd like any information, there are people up front. We'll see you next week.